The Apostle Paul, in our text, as we have gone through Romans now, through about the middle part of chapter 10, Paul has given us clearly the present view of salvation. This free gift that is given to us through Jesus Christ. If you were to go back to chapter 3 of Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift, a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then last week in verse 11 and verse 13, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And then verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The truth is this, Christ has given us this gift through himself in his life that we might have salvation through him. It is most succinctly, beautifully put in Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. But there are those that would hear that and they would say, but wait a minute, Paul, wait a minute, what, what is this faith that you're talking about? How can I achieve? How can I obtain this grace that you are speaking of? And Paul would probably say, I'm glad you asked. I read a story not long ago. Floyd Snyder uh, wrote in his book, Evangelism for the Faint-Hearted, gave this story, and he said that this young man was going to college for the first time. He was a Christian, and he didn't, didn't know who his roommate was other than the name. And as he entered into his dorm room, there was a young man there and introduced himself. And the young man was a Muslim. Now, the two of them began to live together and talk, and eventually it came around to their beliefs. Here's a Christian and a Muslim spending their time together in a dorm room, and of course, it came around to their beliefs. And so the Christian asked the Muslim friend of his, his roommate, he said, have you ever read the Bible? And the man said, no. But in turn, he looked at the Christian and said, have you ever read the Quran? And he said, no. So the Christian young man said, what if we do this? Would you agree if once a week we sat down together and we read a portion of the Bible and we read a portion of the Quran and we would do that together, would you agree to that? He said, Sounds like a good idea to me. So they began to do that that first semester of school. Every week they would sit down and they would read a portion of the Bible and they would read a portion of the Quran. And lo and behold, before the semester was over, 
the young man gave his life to Christ. Second semester started and things were going well and the Christian had told his new convert friend, you need to keep reading. You need to have a regimen of reading God's word. And Schneider says that one day this young man burst through the door and looked at his friend who had helped him come to faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what he said, You deceived me. And the young man said, What are you talking about? He said, You deceived me. You told me I needed to be reading through the Bible, which I did. And tonight I read that God's Word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. I had no chance with a smile on his face. He said, I realize that the Bible is the powerful Word of God. And the Quran is nothing but a book that anyone else could just read that has absolutely no power. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of God's word. In this section, as we began last week in chapter 10, this section Paul reminds us the sovereignty of God in verse in chapter 9 and going into chapter 10 and he explains that salvation is for the elect salvation comes from God but he reminds us about Israel and uses Israel as an example that Israel forgot their first love they forgot to respond to faith forgiveness to recognize that that came through Jesus Christ they did not believe in the gospel. And so as we finish this chapter this morning, as we look at this latter part of chapter 10, there are three movements that will take place, believing, hearing, and knowing. And so as I read through the scripture this morning, I want you to see if you hear these three words or these three themes in this text, believing, hearing, and knowing. Picking up with verse 14. How then will they call on, him, call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and all their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, 
I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds for what you would hold for us this day. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Paul is certainly sharing that Israel rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is also giving us an understanding of not only the Jew and the Gentile, us, but how there is either an acceptance or a rejection of the gospel, that there is no middle ground. And he says the gospel is heard by the preaching, by the sharing of the Word of God. And so as Paul begins to close out this chapter, as he begins to to put this about the hearing of God's Word, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ, he gives us these five steps in the chain of evangelism as he begins this last section. So in verses 10 through 17, we, we see the believing that takes place, the believing and then this chain of evangelism that he gives us. In verse 15, he says, How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so the very first link in evangelism, this chain of evangelism, is the necessity of, the necessity of sending the messenger. Paul uh, quotes Isaiah 52.7 here, how beautiful the feet of those who are sent. These, this beautiful good news of these good things that God does. But it says that has to be sent. The preacher has to be sent. There is a call to preaching. Now, you would say, but wait a minute. Um, You're going to be gone this summer, and there's going to be at least three occasions where someone steps in and preaches for you, and they are not preachers. They have not been called to preach. I would correct you on that when it comes to the elders of the church because, you see, part of being an elder is actually being able to proclaim the word of Christ, to share the word of Christ. And so we see with Jesus that he called the 70 and sent them. We see with Jesus he called the the 12 and he sent them. And there is something that takes place in the sending of the messenger, the preaching of the word of God. And so first is the messenger, and second is actually the preaching. The second is the evangelist is sent, and the evangelist must preach the word of God. In the Greek, the word preach is to proclaim. 
And it reminds us of the importance of that fact. We are proclaiming God's truth. We are not innovating. We are not creating a new truth to present. God's truth is God's truth. It's not what we want to make it out to be. I am getting so tired and so frustrated of hearing other preachers that are saying that God's word no longer is God's word, that God has changed his mind, and that God wants his truth to be whatever our truth is. I am sick and tired of hearing people saying that God's word has changed. Because it's not true. God's truth is God's truth. And when we start making it about our agenda, when a preacher, he or she, begins to innovate, to correct as they see God and make it their own gospel, it no longer becomes the truth, but becomes a false proclamation. We have the opportunity to preach the good news. We have the opportunity that God has given us to hear the good news. And that's the third step of evangelism, Paul says, is to hear. How can they believe in one whom they have not heard, he says? Christ has given us his message, his word, his truth to proclaim. But it is a necessity that someone hears it that someone is able to hear what is being said. You'd say, well, wait a minute, you know, what about those that are deaf? They can't hear God's word. Someone that is deaf, that can read God's word, they will tell you that as they read it, they may not hear it audibly like you and I do, but it becomes real to them. It becomes audible in their thoughts, in their minds, as they are reading God's Word. They are hearing God speak by what they are reading. You ought to try it sometime. Maybe that's the way you read and study. It's just reading silently in your mind, hearing God as you study His Word. And what he's got to say. Faith comes by hearing. The fourth link is tied to the fifth link in this chain of evangelism. The fourth link is belief. How can they call on him who they have not believed, Paul says. One must believe to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so, when you add in the fifth link, and that is, we must call upon him as we come to faith in him. And those go together. When we come to an understanding, a belief, as Paul says in 10, 9 and 10, as we read last week, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for the heart of 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so as we come to an understanding, as we surrender ourselves to Christ, as we believe in Christ as Lord, he is Lord over our life, we have given him our heart, we believe that God raised him from the dead, this is the Son of God, as we call on him, we are saved. That's the progression. And what we need to notice here is two things. This divine progression of evangelism is booked in by God. It is God who does the sending. God sends his message out. That's what we call wooing. God sends his message to us, to the unbeliever. And then we hear it, we believe it, it's preached, we hear, we believe, and then we call on him and his action, his divine action is the saving. It's not that we can save ourselves, but it's that he saves us. So in this progression that Paul presents to us, God books in it all, but there's a response for us to the message. We see this clearly in the life of Jonah. In Jonah 2.9, it reads, Salvation belongs to the Lord. And when you think about Jonah, think about the story. So God calls Jonah and calls him to go to a lost people in Nineveh. He calls him to go and preach. Now, we get caught up kind of in the story of Jonah running and Jonah getting swallowed by a whale, and three days later, Jonah. All of that's part of the story. But when you think about it in the form of what God did with Jonah and this call to evangelize the people of Nineveh, God called him, he sent him. Jonah went to Nineveh and preached the word. He was happy about it, but he did preach it. And the city turned to Christ. So, preached, they heard, they believed, they were saved, they came to faith in Jesus Christ because they called on the Lord. And so in the story of Jonah, we see all that takes place in this chain of evangelism. Now then you have to end the story, and Jonah's still not happy because he was not happy that the people actually came to faith in Jesus Christ. God just... Anyway, God dealt with him. So what Paul is trying to do in this text as he presents this chain of evangelism, he's trying to place the failure of Israel squarely on their unbelief, that they never came to a place of understanding. They never came to a place of believing. Do you remember what Paul said in those first verses that we looked at last week of chapter 10? He says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they were seeking to establish their own righteousness. They wanted to establish their own way. They came up with all of these other things that you're supposed to do and you're supposed to be and you're supposed to say, but it was not of God. It was unrighteousness as God saw it. And so, they did not believe. In verse 16 of this chapter, he says, They have not heeded or obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed 
what he has heard from us. Who has believed? They did not heed the gospel. They did not obey the gospel, Paul says. And so the second statement is designed to confirm the first. Obedience is linked to faith. And I want to say that again. Obedience is linked to faith. These two run hand in hand. Throughout Romans, Paul gives us this theme. To obey is to believe, and to believe is to obey. And so the claim is thus that salvation is consistently, consistently as we come to faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, is that we will obey him. We will listen to him. Why? Because he is Lord. And anything else would be false. Paul declares that through Jesus Christ our Lord we receive this grace. And this grace is about the obedience of faith in him for his name's sake. For all who are called to Jesus Christ. Here again, Salvation is both faith and obedience. In chapter 2 of this book, this letter, Paul declares, to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, God's word, they obey unrighteousness. And they, he says, they receive God's wrath and his indignation. In chapter 6, Paul says, Do you not know when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one that you obey, either of the sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? And he says, thanks be to God, for if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. You have come with an obedient heart. You have come committed to the teaching of the Lord, Paul says. And then in 2 Thessalonians, this idea of obedience and faith, Paul says in the first chapter, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with the mighty angels in a flaming fire, he will deal out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who did not obey the gospel. To those who did not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be saved is to be Submissive, to submit to the one, the Lordship of Jesus. Jesus will not and cannot be our Savior unless he is our Lord. You remember Jesus himself said, you cannot serve two masters. Paul summarizes this section, 14 through 17, in verse in one verse, verse 17, he says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. 
Faith, he says, comes by hearing the word of Christ. Faith then follows as preaching, hearing, studying the word of God. Now, many of you, like me, have a prayer life. And that's great. should be a part of your life. Many of you use devotional books to do your devotion. And that's great. Those, those are really good tools to have. Many of us listen to Christian music on our radios. If you were to go in any of um, mine or Terry's car, you would probably see either K-Love or The Message or, or some Christian radio station playing. We listen to that music. You can go in my office and see Christian degrees on my wall. You can memorize text. All of these things are great things, and they're great tools to have. But faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You can't substitute all of those things and jettison the Word. Paul is reminding us that, look, Israel rejected God's Word. They had it. They knew it. They didn't believe it. That the Messiah is going to come? This Jesus? Nah. Mm -mm. And we must remember that it's not hereditary as they thought. We, we don't earn it or get it or receive it because of our parents. In fact, it's not through communion or baptism either. I love this quote. <clears throat> It'll be on the screen from Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, Faith cannot be washed into us by immersion, nor sprinkled upon us in christening. It is not to be poured out into us from a chalice, nor generated in us by consecrated, a consecrated piece of bread. There is no magic about it. It comes by hearing the word of God and by that way only. Faith comes simply by hearing the word of God. It may come with someone that you share John 3, 16 with, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And you explain. It may come with just helping someone in their time of need. Maybe someone is trying to understand Scripture and they need you to come alongside. Like, Philip did with the eunuch in explaining Isaiah 53. He was reading Isaiah and couldn't understand it, and Philip came alongside of him. And as Philip explained the word of God, that this is the suffering servant that Isaiah is talking about, he said, I believe and I want to be baptized. It may come with you, as Andrew did with Peter, just bringing someone into the presence of the living God so that they can hear from Christ. Philip went and 
got Peter, his brother, and said, you got to come and see. I, I've met this man, and I think this is, is the guy. And he brings Peter to Jesus. And you say, well, wait a minute. They didn't have the word. Jesus is the word. Read John 1. Jesus was in his presence, and Peter was able to hear the word from the master. And then at Pentecost, it's a perfect example of what the preached word can do. As Peter had been filled with the Holy Spirit as the others in the upper room, and Peter goes out and begins to preach, and the Jews that had gathered in Jerusalem that day, 3,000, 3,000, 3,000 heard the sermon and believed. Peter preached the word of God. And so John, uh, Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we believe. We believe what God has said by his truth. But Paul says it also has to be heard. And this hearing is in verse 18. He says, but I, but I ask, have they not heard? Have they? And so Israel would say, nope. I don't remember hearing. And Paul says, absolutely they heard. Absolutely they were told. Absolutely. In fact, he uses Psalm 19.4 and says, The voice has gone out to all of the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In other words, they have heard. The testimony of the Messiah has been given. They just have chosen to ignore it. Have they heard it? Absolutely. They could not read Isaiah 53, and not see this suffering servant, this coming Messiah. They could not read Psalm 22 and not see that it is a messianic text. Over and over again, as they would read the word that they believed was from a Jehovah God, the word that proclaimed there would be a coming Messiah, and Jesus Christ answered and fulfilled every single prophecy they chose not to believe, even though they had heard. There were no excuses. You remember what Paul said in the opening chapter of Romans? In verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of unrighteousness because, or in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident. Evident. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made. And then he ends that verse with, there are no excuses. Paul is not giving any excuses to Israel. God is not giving any excuses to Israel. They have heard. 
they have heard, and there's no excuses. And then finally, he closes out, we've heard about believing, we've heard about hearing, and now he says, what about knowing? In verse 19, he says, but I asked, did Israel understand? In other words, did they know? Did they know what they were reading? And he uses Deuteronomy 32, 21, for I will make you a jealous nation, Make those who are not a nation, you will be jealous of them. They will make you angry, he says. In this nation that he's talking about, this nation that was not called, not chosen by God to be God's people, he's talking about the Gentile nation. That God will offer himself to them, and this will make the Israelites the Jews, angry. And he says, furthermore, read Moses. Read what, I mean, read, um, yeah, read what Moses says. And then read what Isaiah says. And Isaiah even says that I'm going to let those who didn't even seek me find me. Those that I have shown myself to that didn't ask. For me, I will show myself to, again, the Gentile nation. And so the prophecy of this future that God will offer to the Gentiles salvation as he has offered to Israel. Israel knew. Israel knew. And then he closes with that last verse, verse 21. All day long, I have held my hands out to a disobedient and contrary people. Disobedient and contrary or obstinate people. If you would take time today, you ought to go back and read Isaiah 65. Just read through that chapter and see the disobedience of Israel, of how Isaiah lets Israel know about their disobedience and how God feels about it. But yet we see this verse. All day long, God is holding out his arms. He is still compassionate. He is still in love with his people, those people that he has called. Can you get that image of God holding out his hands all day long? When I was in basic training one day, we were on the parade field and doing drills, and we were not um, living up to the expectations of our drill sergeant. And so he had us all get in a line. He was standing up on the, uh, one of the bleachers, and he said, I want every one of you to hold your arms out straight, parallel with the ground. And you cannot drop them until I tell you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to hold your arms out and see how long you can hold them? Man, they get weighted down pretty quickly. My arms already, I can feel weighted. Now, there were those that lasted longer than others, and... There were a few that dropped their arms pretty soon, and they got a 
little bit of wrath, you know, few four-letter words from the drill sergeant about get your arms back up. He, he didn't say it that way, but that's what he meant. Um, and so we stood there for a long time like this until eventually, and it was not like hours, it was minutes down the road that every one of us just literally could not lift our arms back up because they were so heavy. But get that image that Paul gives us, that, that God's arms are stretched out all day long for the compassion, the love, the care of those that he loves. He wants us to be obedient. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to obey him. Maybe if you see that picture in your mind with God's arms stretched out, maybe it reminds you of the Lord Jesus Christ because you see his arms were stretched out because of his love and compassion for us. But that was on a cross. That was on a cross. This picture is of the unwearied love of God for his, for his people. This is who God is. This is how God loves us, cares for us. You remember Jesus as he was going into Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem. O oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And yet, you would not. The breath of the gospel is the availability of the good news this continuality of God giving us an understanding of who he is and what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. His grace is sufficient. And we have the privilege of hearing God's word. The privilege of freely coming today. No one stopped you at the, at the entrance to this church this morning. We are not facing, or at least right now, we're not facing persecution or we're not being harassed about being a people of God. You can get up on Sunday morning and you can go to your place of worship. Thanks be to God. One day, may not be in my lifetime unless hopefully Christ comes back before that, but if he doesn't, I would yet dare say in my grandchildren's lifetime where that may not be so. We may have our grandchildren that are worshiping in house churches or behind closed doors or secretly because of the way of the world. But right now, for us, gathered here or in our homes or wherever it may be, we have the privilege of hearing God's word, of hearing the preaching of God's word, of coming together as the body of Christ. We have God's word at our fingertips I can turn on this thing and call up the Bible app that's on here any place, anytime, 24-7, and have God's Word at my fingertips.
we have the opportunity, the tools to proclaim. The question is, is do we take it for granted? Or do we zealously pursue other things? Making them a higher priority than God. Do we place God first, or are there other things of priority in that spectrum? Israel failed in their belief to hear and to know. If someone was to ask us, have you heard? What would you say? You see, the proclamation, the purpose of evangelism is not to have clever devices or to manipulate the gospel in some way. It is simply to proclaim the truth, the word of God. It breaks my heart for those who present the gospel in some way that would be a call to trust someone else or something else. It breaks my heart because in that emotional peace, there are many that think that they have come to faith in Jesus Christ when they have never repented, when they have never come to faith. They have never been submissive, and they have this false security that they are saved. What a cruel, false evangelism. Because it leaves them in their sin without a Savior and without salvation. May it never be. Let us never take God's word for granted. Let us come to faith knowing that we are called to be obedient to the gospel. To live as, with Christ as Lord over our life. And that our salvation is secure in him. So that when the question is asked, Have you not heard? Have they not heard? Then the answer would be, yes. I've heard and I believe. I heard and I believed. May it be so with us gathered. May your salvation be secure, found only in the one Jesus, the Christ. Father, as we hear your word this morning, as we come to you, as you have come to us, we want to acknowledge again you as Lord over our life. Father, we want to acknowledge that we believe your word as truth and that there is no other and that we're not going to contort it or replace it or misrepresent it in some way. But Father, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so this morning we acknowledge the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
for all who would believe and hear and know. May it be so, Father. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.